uh, into a place where where I am uh, focused on preaching the word, where I'm focused on uh, on what it is that that you have to to say, Lord, help me to stay out of the way of that and just share the gospel, just share what the what the scripture has to say uh, with these folks. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm gonna make sure I started our Facebook Live. Yes, everybody on Facebook Live just saw me wander off. Um, so I I stepped on the scale this morning and I have lost 17 pounds in the last like four months, which is kind of cool. Um, and I and I have told quite a few people in the last six hours um, because because it's a cool thing, right? And and I I've thought about this and I I've realized. Um, I have got to be the most obnoxious person to be around because when I find something exciting, I, I never shut up about it. I, uh, I, when I was dating uh, Jessica, we met each other. We started dating. I think all of my friends were sick of hearing about her. Um, and, and I think actually anybody who talks to me regularly is probably sick of hearing about her um, because, because the things that are important, the things that are a big deal in my life are the things that I get, I get excited and I talk about them. Am I the only one in this, in this area? Anybody else? Um, I know there are grandparents in the room with photos on their phone, um, and and <laughs> it's very funny that that uh, Hepner over here is pointing at <laughs> Sherry and Dave. They have photos that they should. I mean, we get excited about stuff. We discover things that are important, and we want to talk about it. And we want to tell people, and we want to announce it, and and. You're like three weeks late. I, sorry, sure. We had like three baby announcements, like three weeks ago. Congratulations, it's awesome. I, I will say as a kid, as an adult who was a kid at one point, I have heard many stories about myself from my parents that I never want to hear again. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're all good. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> thank you. The, the, where I'm going with this, listen, there are all of these things things that we talk about. We talk about, you know, how well the hunting trip went last week. We talk about how harvest was this year. We talk about the new piece of equipment, right? I've heard people talk about this. I know I've heard people talk about this. When exciting things happen, we have a tendency to share it. What we're going to be looking at here is we're, we're working through the book of Acts in little bits and pieces and jumping around a little bit, and we're going to be in Acts 9 again. Um, we're going to kind of continue Paul's story, and, and what happens here is Paul... Um, Paul starts talking. And if you've read Paul's books, Paul talks pretty much better than anything else. And, and it doesn't seem like he stops. Um, in fact, actually, if you read in the original Greek, Paul would write sentences that would last four or five pages, um, where it was just section after section after section. And you get to the end of it, it's like, well, that's a sentence. Because Paul, Paul had a lot to say because Paul encountered something life-changing on the road to Damascus. We talked about that last week. We're going to be talking about the next step here and the next several years. Um, 
of Paul's life, actually the next 20 or what, 13, 15 years of Paul's life almost, um, there's a lot of gray in there, so we're going to do our best to untangle it. And really what it's about is, it is about Paul being excited and telling folks what happened and telling folks what had taken place. Um, so far in the book of Acts, if I can, uh, so far in the book of Acts, what's going on is um, the church is formed. Uh, Stephen was the first martyr. Paul officiated over his execution. Right. And approved it. Then he got letters from the enemy party. Right. Like like in in the temple to go and persecute the church. Like he went to the Sadducees. He got letters giving him permission to persecute. Um, And it is a very upsetting part of the story. Let's hold our emotions in for now. Um, Benjamin. Um, But the the. Like he gets permission to go out and persecute the church, and he starts jailing and um, and and punishing anybody who confesses themselves as a follower of Jesus. Um, finally, Paul gets permission to go to Damascus. On the way there, he's struck blind, um, and Jesus appears to him physically. Uh, most theologians agree this is the last time Jesus shows up physically. Right? Everybody else is having visions. Everybody else is having. Um, having hearing voices or what have you like it's not this is the last time we see where Christ like shows up and manifests physically and probably the last time before he returns um, so Jesus shows up and talks to Paul and Paul wanders ahead to, to Damascus blind and a fellow comes and heals him and um, and he's a changed man and so from here on out Paul is going to be in this little section, then he's going to disappear, and then he's going to dominate Acts, okay? He's going to be center stage in about 15 years. Um, (laughs) But that'll be next week. No, not next week. That'll be probably next year. Um, So Paul's story here, though, he is about to dominate the New Testament church. He's going to write more. He's going to travel more. He's going to preach more. He's going to do more. He's going to be persecuted more. He's going to, I mean... It is a you name it. Paul is going to do it more than anyone else. And this is an offshoot of something else. Paul was a zealous guy, right? Did you ever meet somebody like that when they encountered something? They were just excited and they would be 110% about that thing until it was time to be 110% about something else. Um, My father-in-law is like that. My father-in-law, if he gets into a new job, you hear about that job perpetually, and when he's done with that job, he does something else. You'll hear about that perpetually. And I love that about my father-in-law. He's energetic. He's zealous. He's what? Got it. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, well, let me. That's not going to be hard. Uh, all right. So we'll see if I can do that while I talk. Um, this is Paul. Paul was so zealous about the Jewish, like, like. Uh, the Jewish faith about his laws, about the regulations, about um, about following God, like like in the Jewish faith, that he persecuted the church, and that was a big driver behind his persecution of the church. Was he was excited and he was energetic and he was serious. Paul was the guy. If there was something to be done, he was going to do it, even if it meant he died in the process. You got me. Y'all ever know anyone like that? They're going to do what they need to do, no matter what, and and if it. Um, I didn't say point, um, <laughs> but but this is who Paul is. Paul is going to do this stuff 110%, and he is all about who Christ is and about who um, what it takes to save as many people as possible. Paul didn't care about anything. He didn't care about his own freedoms. He didn't care about like like anything apart from 
sharing the gospel with as many people as possible and growing the church and growing individuals. Like, this is who Paul is. And so, we're going to pick up. Saul spent several days, mind you, several days. This is right after he's been healed. And then, Saul spends several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, these folks knew Paul was coming, and Paul was coming with letters from the high priests allowing him to arrest folks. And actually, the Jewish officials in the temple were, or in the synagogues were probably pretty excited Paul was going to get there because he was going to take care of their pest problem. These Christians were going to go away. And then Paul shows up, and what does he do? He starts preaching, but he starts preaching what he came there to persecute. Um, and you got to think that they were a little flummoxed. You know what I mean? Like this guy shows up and he does the opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. Um, but he, first he spends a little bit of time with the disciples. I'm guessing that Paul got the crash course in theology, right? Paul was already attending what would have been sort of the ancient Harvard for theology, right? He was studying under the Sanhedrin. He was... He was a man who undoubtedly could recite the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament from memory, and probably a big chunk of the Talmud. Like, this is a man who is so learned, so educated, that, I mean, you would, you would have trouble finding people on that scale in the modern world. We just don't learn the way they used to. Um, and, and so he sits down with the disciples there. He learns everything he needs to learn, or everything he thinks he needs to learn, right out of the gate. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a man who discovers something good, and the very first thing he needs to do is tell people, right? He needs to tell people. He needs to say, I have worked my entire life earning my way to God, and it is all a big pile of rubbish next to Jesus. I have tried to climb my way into heaven, and it means nothing. Christ is it. Every promise I've been banking on my whole life, Jesus fulfills it, and here's how. And he goes, and he, he preaches, and actually we find out he does a lot of debating and a lot of arguing and a lot of, like, sharing the gospel and, like, wrestling with folks. And, um, and everybody's shocked. Um, I'm going to backtrack here a little bit. So Acts was written by a guy named Luke, right? Luke was one of uh, Paul's like close friends. He was a doctor. He was probably martyred near on to the same time as as uh, Paul was. Uh, Luke was a very educated man. Um, he was a slave at one point. We know that, right? And that that um, while a slave, he was taught medicine, which is interesting, right? Um, that was a really common practice in the ancient world. You would teach your slaves how to treat other slaves in case. One of them got sick because it's quite an investment. You don't want your slaves dying of some illness or a broken leg or something. You, so you got one guy who's trained to take care of them, and that's Luke. Luke was well-educated. His writings indicate that he was educated in more than just anatomy and physiology. He was classically educated. He's a very, very intelligent man. And Luke tells the story of Acts, having been commissioned to write it. It was probably supposed to be the first installment of several books, um, but it's probably the case that he was killed right at the end. Got it? Like before he finished the second one. Um, and so uh, Luke includes a lot of details, but he doesn't include all of the details. And he has a habit of crunching things together, right, which wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. Um, the series of events that we're about to read takes place over the course of about three years plus, 
right? We don't know how long. We don't know where this stuff lands. There's some pretty good guesses, and I'm going to give you my educated guess as to where everything lands. Got it? Um, so Paul, recounting this period um, in Galatians, and he's arguing with the Galatians about his ministry as an apostle. Um, he says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of, the church of God and destroyed it. Uh, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Um, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate was resp- response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I, wa- or before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I went to Damascus. Um, so Paul, he makes it a point of saying in Galatians, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I went and preached, right? I went and, like, preached the gospel. I was right there. I was on it. And somewhere in there, he went to Arabia, which is sort of that uh, Sinai Peninsula, like Jordan area, like that, that area down there. He left, and he preached somewhere else at some point. I'm going to give you my guess as to when. Um, So going on, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he shows up, and not only is he preaching it, He's arguing, and he's arguing better than they are because this is a guy who went to Harvard, right? This is a guy who knows his stuff, and he knows it backward and forward, and it's a little like, did you ever um, put a puzzle together? Um, and I, I love, Titus is, is all about puzzles. He loves sitting down and putting puzzles together. He'll spend half the day staring at a puzzle in the kitchen, and I, he'll all right, Dad, sit down with me. And he'll stare at a puzzle and not see it, and, like, he'll have done all the basic work, and you can sit down with him and be like, oh, here, click, click, we're done. (laughs) Because he was looking, and he didn't see how all the pieces connected together. But, you know, you come in with a little more experience, a little more information, a little, like, bird's eye view, and you're able to do it. This is Paul. Paul walks in with all the pieces, probably having heard Jesus preach in Jerusalem, right? Because we know Jesus preached in Jerusalem quite a bit, and we know that Paul was in Jerusalem throughout that period. So the idea that Paul wouldn't have heard him is insane, right? He just rejected Jesus' teaching until he became a Christian later. And so Paul walks in the door and click, 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 click. He's got all of it, and he just blows these guys out of the water. Um, he, is, he is the big gun of the Christian faith for, for decades to come. Um, so he is there, he is preaching, he is knocking down everything they have to say, he is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, after many days, and we don't know how long, uh, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they, were cl- they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. And finally, the Jewish folks are like, yeah, we can't let him keep doing this. Right. And so they set out. They say, we are going to make sure this guy stops and they go to kill him. Um, And Paul's 
folks, they find out about it. They try to smuggle them out. They've got the gates watch day and night, and they, like, shove them out a window in a basket <laughs> and lower them down. In the ancient world, you would have these giant walls around cities because the ancient world was incredibly dangerous, and an enemy army could come up and, like, just kill all of you, right? And that's how you paid armies in the ancient world, by the way. You would sack a city, and then everybody in the army would get to take whatever they found, and that's how they got paid, right? So you would have serious walls. And those walls are so massive and so, like, like space-dominating that folks began to build houses into them because it's expensive to build a house, and there's only so much space. You're not going to have an alley all the way out around the, the area, and it was really common in the ancient world. You would have houses that were built three and four levels up ancient walls. And it wasn't unusual to have, like, a window, you know, I mean, because – it makes sense. Um, and so his followers lower him. By the way, he's there long enough to have followers. Got that? Like, he is there long enough to have built a church around him. People who, who said, oh, well, this guy knows what he's talking about, which is, by the way, probably why they're killing him. Right? I mean, that makes sense. You don't want this guy to get a huge following. It makes, a better, makes more sense to just end it now. And so... Um, they shove him out the window in a basket and lower him to the ground, and he escapes. Um, it's kind of a weird story, right? Paul later identifies this as basically the low point in his ministry, like the most humiliating experience he had. Isn't that weird? Um, this is in Second Corinthians. Uh, the letter of Second Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. Um, it's the second letter, probably the third, actually, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so it's it's the second letter that we have, um, and in it he's arguing about these guys who say they're the greatest disciples and apostles ever, and they're, Paul calls them super apostles, and he makes fun of them, and finally says, you know what? If they're going to brag about how awesome they are, I'm going to tell you how weak I am. And so Paul begins to recount, like, persecution he suffered and the number of times he'd been whipped and the number of times he'd been um, beaten with rods and the number of times he'd been jailed. And he tells him about the times, the times uh, when he was in ships that were broken up on the sea and he ended up floating on the open sea like scared he was going to drown. And the times uh, when he was in danger on the road and the times when he went hungry and all of this stuff, he says, you know what, like, like, I understood in the end that in all that humiliation and all that suffering and in all that difficulty, God's grace was sufficient for me. Like I was strong when Jesus was strong in me. Got it? Um, And this is important because he gets to the end of this section. The very last thing he talks about, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, right? Sounds familiar. The governor under King Eridus had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. So the local government's trying to get rid of Paul. They're watching. And Paul lists this at the pinnacle, at the very last arguing point as to how he'd suffered for the gospel. Like, Paul considered this to be a huge humiliation, right? Like, this is the the high point of his humiliation. Why does that matter? Now, watch this. Paul is out there. He is succeeding. He is winning. He is arguing. He is 
knocking it out of the park over and over again. And then he has to run with, a tail, with his tail between his legs. He's doing so much. He is so, like, on it. And then he's brought back in humiliation. Um, earlier, watch this. Earlier, um, we see where God says to uh, Barnabas, hey, or not Barnabas, to um, Ananias, I'm going to show this guy how much he has to suffer for my name. And so this is the beginning. This is probably the first instance where Paul begins to suffer for preaching Jesus, right? And Paul is, like, brought low in the process. Um, Anybody know what the word humility means? Not like humble brag, right? Oh, I'm so, you know, this is, humility is when you're able to stop and say, I am wrong. I screwed up. I am hurt by this. I am not, you know, like, like it's where you're able to stop and say, I'm not perfect. Um, one of the things I, I talk a lot about, um, about the era of my life when I've really screwed up. And I don't do that, well, I guess, I don't know, I, that, I've never thought about, about it being humble. I talk about that because I want to say, Jesus is great, right? Um, I'm always blessed when folks come to me and say, God fixed my life in this area, and it's amazing. And, and where they say, oh, well, you know, God moved in a mighty way for me. I couldn't do it myself, but God saved me. Or God dug me out of this pit. Or Jesus redeemed me, even though this is the life I've been living. God forgave me. This is how much of a sinner I am. I'm so blessed that he forgave me. I think Paul was standing on the mountaintop at this point, right? He's excited. He is full of energy and excitement and everything else. And then he's humiliated. And I think this is the first point where Paul realizes, oh, my gosh, this is going to mean an awful lot of humiliation. This is going to be hard. I'm going to have to back up and acknowledge that God is in control, that God is watching over me. Um, I, I read this this morning. I was reading actually a secular book on marriage this morning while I was on the elliptical machine at the gym, and it struck me. This guy was talking about doing a marriage conference at a church, and he said, well, I, I told these people at this church, well, Jesus isn't the most important thing in your marriage, and they were offended. And I told them being humble is, and I don't think that's associated with Jesus. And I was like, that's a guy who didn't know Jesus, right? Because at the core of following Christ, and this is the lesson Paul learns here, at the core of following Christ is acknowledging, I can't do this. I cannot accomplish this on my own. My own work is insufficient. My awesomeness and my goodness and my holiness are never going to reach that point. God has to save me. And here Paul is being saved in a basket. Um, it's a huge deal. What does that have to do with us? What do we do with this? Um, what we do with this is we acknowledge we acknowledge that we need Jesus, right? Like if you are here and you are struggling in your faith, like, like at the core of it, you're going to struggle. Everybody struggles, right? Real struggle means grow, right? Like things, people grow when they struggle. I just messed up my microphone. Um, people grow when they struggle. And I'm not saying that that's good. I'm saying that oftentimes when we worry or when we, we doubt or when we fear and we're forced to trust God in different situations, we're put in places where we grow because the more we trust God, the more we lean on God, the more we acknowledge our dependence on God, the more we grow. And actually the amazing thing is it makes it easier to talk about Jesus. You know why? Because you're not talking about you. You're talking about what Jesus did on your behalf, Right? You're talking about what people have done for you. Um, 
it's so easy to brag about yourself. But like understanding you got nothing to brag about and that Jesus is everything to brag about. Like that's a huge deal. Um, move ahead. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. By the way, in Galatians, he acknowledges, uh, we're going to go forward one and then back. Uh, in Galatians, he again, continuing that previous passage. Uh, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and I stayed the, with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other disciples, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, that's what I'm telling you is, or what I'm writing is no lie. Um, so jumping back, he went to Jerusalem after three years, right? And there's a question, right? He went to Arabia in the middle. So he may have escaped Damascus, spent three years traveling in Arabia and preaching, and then gone to Jerusalem, right? Or he may have gone there before and then escaped and then gone to Jerusalem. There's a big question mark. I think he went to Arabia and then he went to Damascus, or to Jerusalem. That's my opinion. Um, there's a strong argument for the other way around because, um, well, anyway, that's really academic. If you want to know about it, ask me later. I'll tell you. It's interesting, but it's academic. Um, so he goes to Jerusalem. He's been preaching for three years. He has converted lots of people. He's nearly been killed. And when he gets there, the disciples say, oh, no, keep that guy away from us. That was probably really awesome, right? <laughs> Again, Paul is humiliated, but Paul... Um, Paul has this habit of pushing through this stuff. He shows up and they still don't trust him. They still don't want to see him. And when they finally do, it's not even all of them. It's two of them that get together. And he spends about 15 days with them, um, I assume, talking and, and conferring about Christ. And probably he learned some stuff. Um, a big chunk of what he didn't do is he didn't learn or he wasn't commissioned by them. That's something that Paul makes a big deal about. He was commissioned as a disciple by Jesus directly. Um, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. By the way, that humiliation after being fear, you know, fearlessly preaching is something that went to his credit. Um, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they, but they tried to kill him. This becomes the like theme song for his life. Um, I did not have a slide for this. I wanted to share it because I read it this morning um, again. Uh, this is in Acts 22. Paul is talking in a temple, uh, talking to a group of people, and he recounts this. He says, then... I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, and I fell in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said to the Lord, they themselves know that in, in one synagogue after another, I was imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Uh, and when the blood and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving uh, and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul is in the temple. He's arguing. He's in the temple. He's praying, and he falls into this trance, and Jesus comes to him and says, get out of here. They're going to kill you, <laughs> right? Get, <laughs> time to go. And Paul has kind of a lot of gall. He says, but wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. These people know 
that I was on their side before. They know I was imprisoning these guys, and they know I helped kill Stephen. Surely they'll know that I'm serious. And Jesus says, they're not going to listen to you. Get out of here. Because <laughs> Paul was really humble, I think, still. Like, he had to learn this. He had to learn submission and all this. But um, that's not included in the, the early account in Acts. And what we know is that Paul took off. Um, then I went to Syria. This is in Galatians. He's still accounting separately. And I'm including this to give you a timeline. I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Um, they only heard the report. The man formerly persecuting, who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Um, like, he didn't travel all over Judea. He didn't preach all over. He went Damascus, Jerusalem, escaped. Then the believers learned of this. They took him down to Caesarea, which is a city on the sea. It's called Caesarea on the Sea. You can still go there. It's kind of an interesting place. Um, several decades later, Paul was, like, tried there, and he tried. He attempted to preach the gospel to the governor of the area, and the governor cut him off and said, what, do you think you're going to convert me? And that was right before he went off to Rome to be in prison for several years before he had his head cut off. Um, but Caesarea by the sea, and they sent him to Tarsus. So Paul is kicked out of Israel altogether and sent home to his mom and dad's place. <laughs> and he lived there for 10 years. Paul is about to disappear from the story for a decade. Like everything that happens between now and when Paul shows up again, he is hanging out in his parents' like area, probably preaching the gospel, probably planting churches, probably studying, probably growing, but Paul is gone for 10 years. Um, and then the last passage, or the last verse here, and then we'll start digesting this. Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Um, so what do we do with this? That is an awful lot of Paul's early story, right? What do we do with this? First off, we understand that um, what the body of Christ does naturally is we tell people about Jesus, right? I mean, like we tell people, this is what happened. This is what I encountered. This is what I experienced. I, I, I remember being a young Christian, and, and I remember being very zealous as a young Christian to tell people about Jesus. And it embarrassed my friends. And after a little while, I got uncomfortable because all my friends would get uncomfortable, and I stopped doing that. And, and it's weird how that is, right? Like we start worrying about our own pride and we don't talk about it. But at the end of the day, one of the things that the body of Christ naturally does is we tell, we tell folks, Jesus died for you. Jesus carried your sin on the cross. Jesus carried my sin. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, like this is what we do. Um, and sometimes we do it in ways that are more subtle. Like I, I know folks that go door to door to preach at people. And some folks do that. Um, I also know folks who serve people until the time comes and then they talk. I know people who make friends and build relationships and use that as a segue to preaching the gospel. I know folks who um, in, have trouble talking and they invite people to church and they expect me to do all their talking. And that's fine. <laughs> like, that is a good thing, um, except that I'm not that interesting some days. But, you know... <laughs> It's something like we as the church, what we do is we work and we drive and we um, 
we focus on the job of the church, which is to spread the gospel and to make disciples. Um, what we do, like what we exist for, is that. Um, we live in a world. We live in a world that's dying, right? We live in a world that that will grasp onto any silly little thing and think that it's the meaning that gives us anything. You want to see a great example of that? Anybody know anyone who is religiously political this week? Anybody who's preaching the gospel of this candidate or that candidate? Have you heard the good news of? Anybody heard it? Really, like two of us? <laughs> Was that a little kid who raised their hand? Because, yeah, no joke. Um, because we're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. And, and it is everywhere around us. That's a... Um, that's a, a Blaise Pascal was a Christian philosopher who said, built into every man, there's a hole, right? There's a hole that only God is designed to fit into. Like in every man, there's an empty place. And we will search and scrape and chase and try to fill that hole up with something. And guess what? Nothing works, right? You know, I, I can't believe, like I'll, I'll watch and see how people will, you know, this is the most important thing that's ever happened next Tuesday. No, it's not, right? Because I hear that every time. I do. And I'm still alive after they've gone either way, and it's fine. Like, I, I get it's important. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but those are folks oftentimes who are looking to fill that hole with something. Or they're filling that hole with sports. Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody like that? Where this becomes everything in life. You know, if my fantasy football team doesn't win, I'm going to. It's crazy. You know, or work where all they do is work and it becomes a religion and it becomes all they're about to the point that, like, when they stop working, they die. Um, or their kids or school or this or that or how much smarter they are than anyone else or alcohol or drugs or sex or pornography or whatever. I mean, you find it. People will try to fill that hole inside themselves, but only Jesus will fill that. Only Jesus makes us complete. Um, this is a reality of the world that we live in. Um, I, I remember... Years ago, I was working in Houston as an exterminator, the worst job I ever had. Second worst, third worst job I ever had. Um, but I, I, two of them were in Houston. Um, and I, I remember I spent a day digging trenches around a house to put, like, to put in termite stuff, to kill off termites, right, or to block termites from coming in. And we had to wear these polyester suits. And so, like, all day, it's like 110 degrees, and it is like 120% humidity because Houston is awful. Except that my wife came from there, and she's wonderful. Um, and I shoveled all day around this house. And I remember driving home from work. I was driving in this little white Ford Festiva that, that I borrowed from my wife, now then-girlfriend. Um, and it was hot, and the air conditioning in that car didn't work. And, and I remember stopping at a gas station, and I was, like, blowing. You ever have that? I know farmers do this, like, where you blow your nose, and it's like, well, I just dug that up, like, because like, you've been breathing in dust and garbage all day. I went in, and I bought a bottle of Avion. I think it's the first time I ever bought a bottle of Avion. It is also the most delicious thing I have ever tasted in my entire life. And I've never managed to duplicate how delicious that water was. You know why? 
because I've never worked that hard again <laughs> in my entire life. <laughs> and I've never been that hot and miserable because I don't live in Houston anymore. Um, <laughs> but the point being, like, guys, we're walking around with bottles of Avion, Right? Not only that, we have an unending supply. Like the well is deep. There's so much of that water, like that living water, and we all carry it. Everybody who knows the gospel, everybody who knows Jesus, everybody who's been saved, everybody who can point back and say, I used to be dead in this sin. I, I could not be right before God. I was screwing up everything, and Jesus saved me. Everybody who's in that spot, you got your bottle of Avion. And every day you get up and you go into the world, and there are people dying of thirst. You, there are people drinking salt water. You, you ever see that in a movie where, like, they're out on the open sea and they start drinking salt water because they're so thirsty and it's just going to kill them? You know, there, there are people consuming stuff that's killing them spiritually, and you got a bottle of water on you. Like, guys, what the church does is what Paul did. Um, we tell people about Jesus. I, I often, one of my favorite sermon illustrations that people mention to me often is the, the Titanic with the door at the end of the movie. You guys know that? Where Rose and Jack are there, and there's plenty of room on the door, but Rose lets Jack drown. Um, <laughs> and and <laughs> there are folks, there, there are people drowning all around us, and we have the lifeboat. We have Jesus. We invite people in the door. Guess what? They're loud, and they're, they don't know they're not supposed to do this, and they're not supposed to do that, but, like, we can save them, Right? They're people that we talk to every day who they use coarse language and we don't like to talk to them because they complain all the time and they're hopeless and they're empty and they're dying inside and they're drinking salt water every day at the bar so they can just get through today and we have something that can make it right. Because when we talk about what the church can do, what the church has, what the body of Christ does, this is the big one, right? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. My challenge for you this week is to ask you to look at your life, look at your heart, look at how you live and ask, like, are you hiding it under a bushel, right? Nobody yelled no. (laughs) Or are you letting it shine? Like, are you carrying this out there and sharing it with the world? Or have you gotten tired of it? Is it something you keep in the back seat just in case? You know what I mean? I got a dirty jug of water in the trunk of my car just in case I need it. That ain't the Jesus that we follow. Like, are you sharing it? Are you living it? Is your action and your attitude and your heart and the way that you approach your wife and the way that you approach your kids and the way you approach your neighbors, does it scream out, I belong to Jesus? Um, Or is this something you've left behind? I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you all go to the Catholic Church to eat lunch. Um, Let's accept that today is Communion Sunday. And uh, I'm going to call my guys forward. I would have cut a little short a minute earlier. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But that's basically what Christ was asking us on the night that he was betrayed when he took his bread and he broke it before he went to the cross, before he carried the sins of the world. And he handed the bread to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. this is my body broken for you. Um, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And I, I want to challenge you all, like, is this something, is this a meal we just do occasionally, or is this a life-changing thing? Is this a new way to be? Um, it's...
you can go ahead and, except for you, Ross. 